time has come to retool our playing for ourselves, for our students, and for the greater groove. And the big question remains, of course, what is the future of strings? Come on, let's talk about it. for tuning into the Greater Groove Podcast, the future of strings. We are going to talk about the future of strings. There is an example of the future of strings right here on the show tonight. We got the leader of Stratospherius, Mr. Joe Denenzone is here from the Sweet Plantain String Quartet. You may know him from there. You may know him from his violin concerto, his electric violin concerto. Or you may know him as the winner of the John Lennon Songwriting Contest. Or you may know him from one of his many songs that have appeared on TV shows and films. The guy's all over the place. And he's also teaching over at the New Jersey City University, part of this multi-styles uh, new string program that Martha Mook started over there this year. And actually, Martha is going to be my guest next week on the show. But I know Joe as an electric rock and roller of the first magnitude. Joe Denizone, welcome to the show. What's up, Tracy? What's up, everybody? It's such an honor to be here with you. Uh, <laughs> yes. Of the electric violin world. So thanks for having me. Yeah, man. It would not be the electric violin world without you. You are a big part of that world, man. Dude, um, I'm so glad that you're here, and we are going to get into it. We're going to get into the rhythm stuff. I, like the groove is, is sacred, and uh, I live by it and i i love uh, what you're doing for to teach my your mission in life and my mission is life in life is to make the world a groovier place for string players yes to get yes and i should mention that you are also a an educator um i mean i know you from being a co-teacher at the mark o'connor camps the mark wood rock orchestra camps strings without boundaries uh, a fellow teacher on stringmasters.com where are you doing sure. your private and group lessons? And of course, you wrote this great book called Plugging In, all about electric string playing. Um, so the guy wrote the book. Guy wrote the book. And your book uh, is remarkable as well. So Ah, yeah. thank you. Thank you, my friend. And uh, partly because of your contribution to it. Yeah, I want to uh, I want to really kind of dig into how, you know, this show is all about the rhythm aspect of string playing because there's lots of folks who are talking about, you know, playing jazz or improvising on strings and things like that and which is all important and, and great. But we kind of focus more specifically on 
playing rhythm, grooving, being a backup, being the rhythm player and not always the lead melodic player, and using strings in that way, which is kind of a paradigm shift for most string players who come up in the classical, shall we say, the Russian school of violin playing. And I think you know a little bit about that. I, I for those who don't know, I, I was born in St. Petersburg, Russia, when it was Leningrad. And um, my family is the, all classical musicians. My dad is a violinist. My, my mother is the pianist. And a uh, very, very classical family. Um, and we emigrated when I was four years old to the States. My dad took a job with the Cleveland Orchestra and still is there today. He's been there, I think, 42 years, 43 years. Wow. Wow. My mother is a, a concert pianist, and they basically run a music school out of their house. So all my life, we'd have people coming in. There'd be a violin lesson in one room and a piano lesson in the other. Recitals every Sunday. It was kind of a madhouse. <laughs> born, born to it, man. And, uh, and married into it as well. Yes, that's right. I married, uh, my wife is a violinist in the New York Philharmonic. So I'm really, I'm surrounded. I'm surrounded by like hardcore, deep classical cats. Uh, and I'm, I'm yeah. the rebel. I'm the sheep of the family. <laughs> How did that happen, man? How, how, what, went, what went wrong? Where did your parents go wrong? Right. I mean, however you want to look at it. Um, <laughs> I, I think part of it was, you know, when I, when, when I was six and, we, and I was just going to school and I didn't speak the language that well and nobody understood. I, I didn't feel like classical music was cool. You know, that I felt kind of like an alien from outer space, you know. And at some point, I started listening to the radio and watching MTV. This was the early 80s. Right. You know? And I just wanted to, be, to fit in. I wanted to belong. It was part of that and, and partly, and part of just falling in love with pop, American pop culture and American music. And just feeling like if I just stayed strictly as the classical player, I, would, I couldn't connect with people. And I just really wanted that connection. That's, you, know? you know, that is so exactly my story as well, man. It was, you know, it just seemed like playing classical music was something that made us an outsider and playing rock made us an insider. So it was kind yeah. of a no-brainer, you know. But I mean, as I got older, I learned to love and appreciate classical music. And, you know, it's, I think it's just how I was feeling at that time, you know. Yeah. And... Also, the fact that I love I love to perform. I, I, I'm a ham. I love to be in front of an audience and have an alter ego and just go nuts. I can verify this fact. And you don't really get to do that too much in classical music, nor in jazz, actually. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I played a lot of jazz. <laughs> uh, you, you, there's that whole Clark Kent aspect of rock and roll that, that appeals to me. You could be a mild <laughs> whatever by day. And, right. And a know, superhero as soon as you plug night. in. Yes. <laughs> So, yeah, so I, you know, I had a parallel life. I, I did my classical studies, did what my parents told me. I went to Cleveland Institute of Music every Saturday for my lessons. I played in Cleveland Youth Orchestra, but I also, uh, I wanted to play in a rock and roll band. So I, uh, I had no concept that a violin would, could fit into a rock and roll band. I had no role models at the time, you know. Um, so I uh, took up electric bass first. Uh, that was my first non-classical instrument that I learned. Mm -hmm. Because I figured it had four strings. The violin has four strings. How hard could it be? You know, and I didn't play <laughs> bass. And I wanted to form a band. So I formed a band when I was 13. And we played a few bar mitzvahs and some parties. And I, I, would, I would love to sing. That was the other thing I liked to do. Um, and then eventually I auditioned for my high school jazz band. And 
on bass, I was really into like hair bands, like Billy Sheehan and all this, all the tapping stuff and all the flashy stuff. You know, yeah. I had no idea about walking bass lines, playing jazz and, and playing groove. You know, um, and around that time when I was 15, I also learned guitar because I loved guitar. So I had a, a teacher named Al Krasil. He was a, a local, actually Ukrainian jazz musician who had just moved to Cleveland where I was growing up. And he taught me about groove, about playing with a drummer, locking in, um, about um, Jaco Pastorius and Miles Davis and John Coltrane and Jean-Luc Ponty and all these great, he was a huge influence on me, you know. So in, jazz, in, in my high school jazz band, um, I played with, uh, we played some really hip charts. We did a lot of Motown, so I learned James Jamerson bass lines. Nice. We did, we did the whole Sinatra with the Sands album. We had a really uh, driven director of that jazz band who would be up late. His light would be on late at night at the school. He'd be transcribing big band charts. So he was a real, a real inspiration. So through those two guys, I learned a lot about playing in the pocket and, you know, reading harmonies and, and walking a bass line and, and improvising, you know, and yeah. all that stuff. Yep. Uh, so, and at the same time, again, I led a parallel life, just strictly classical violin studies. So at one point, the world worlds collided. There was a local Cleveland celebrity named Michael Stanley who passed away this past year. But he was, uh, people in Northeast Ohio know him. He, he ha holds records, attendance records for uh, all the arenas in Cleveland. His band wow. was huge in the 80s. And he was a local radio personality too. So his twin daughters went to my school and uh, he heard me play at a talent show and invited me to sit in with his band at the Front Row Theater, which no longer exists. And I was about 16, um, and I had never improvised on the violin in my life. Huh. But I had improvised on the bass, and I had improvised on the guitar. And all my heroes were guitar players. So it kind of naturally translated to the violin, and that was kind of a breakthrough moment. I just played a bunch of songs. I found an old YouTube video of that. I really didn't know what I was doing, but uh, <laughs> um, it was you know, it was a turning point. So that's when I realized, man, maybe there's something to this rock violin thing. I don't know anyone who's doing it. And I, violin's like my strongest instrument. I've been playing it since I was six. I got the chops on violin. Right. Maybe I can kind of carve a path with this thing. So um, I ended up going to Indiana University as a jazz violin major. Um, so I kept playing classical, but I also studied uh, jazz with David Baker. Yep. And when I met you was when you were in the Turtle Island String Quartet. Yeah. When I was a student. Indiana and um, took a summer workshop at UMass Amherst and you guys were coaching. So uh, that That's was around great. the first time I learned to pop, you know. Um, there was a string quartet ensemble at IU playing Turtle Island charts. Huh. Um, and we were only jazz string majors. There was four of us. And uh, that's when I was first introduced to the idea of chopping. And I, I thought it was a really cool thing. Oh, wow. Now, was Sarah so, Caswell there at the same time you were there or...? She was there after. She was. Uh, it was with the cellist in the group was her sister Rachel Caswell, who is now known mainly as a singer, but she was a really hardcore cellist. Huh. Uh, and the other violinist. Um, and uh, Sarah was a teenager when I met her, and she was already a rock star. Yeah. Know, in, in Indiana, and we got to play together in David Baker's jazz band. And trade have dueling violin solos and all this stuff, and I, we go we go back a long way. That's very very cool, so. super cool. Well, you know, one thing I wanted to do, um, 
on the show is uh, is this groove hacker thing. Like, take a groove apart. What are what are the different elements? What's the drum part? What's the bass line? What's or the guitar part? Or how you go about putting that together? Um, and did you want to take that the tune, the chicken, or um, what were you thinking? I was just thinking that would be a great example. It's actually. You know, it's so wonderful. I've seen you, uh, you know, you play it and what you're doing with the bass is phenomenal. Like I was just watching your double finger action on that. So so looking back and I, I kind of took it for granted and didn't wasn't conscious of it. But some of the techniques, finger techniques I learned playing bass. And I also took a year of classical guitar, which helped develop my thumb. Oh. Uh, I do. It's the, uh, you know, typical string players don't do like I'll do a two finger pit. You know, and I always wonder why everyone's torturing themselves with one finger yeah. when you can do it. <laughs> do you find that you have to get your arm all the way around to get it like parallel so that you're not like coming sideways? You know what I mean? Ah, good, good question. <laughs> I am coming a little bit sideways. It's more comfortable actually for me to, to come side, come in sideways because yeah. your middle finger is longer than your index right, finger. Right, right, right. It makes it better. Um, you got to put a bow like, down though. No, you can just hold it like this. <laughs> nice. So for the for the bass, you know, it's uh, I actually I'm not using the bass technique um, for when I was when I'm playing on this tune. I'm using something I learned uh, playing classical guitar, um, using alternating the thumb and the index finger. Oh, thumb and index finger, right? Slow that down. Slow it down just for a second, okay? Just see if we can catch this on the zoom cam. What I'm going to do is the the main bass part for the chicken, uh, which is in B flat. So my thumb is moving downwards, and my index finger moving up nice now for that i notice you are bringing it off the strap and down in yes. the guitar position for that i for that i i play in guitar position it's really kind of impossible i mean it's possible right very, right here the other fun thing you could play uh i like to play dust in the wind like that It's basically just an alternating um, guitar finger picking pattern, correct? Or yeah, it's it's I don't know the technical name for it, but it's very common, especially in folk music and you know yeah. country. I think a good way to practice something like that is just alternating between two strings slowly with the metronome, trying to keep it as even as possible. Yeah. And is your motion, you know, so you're not doing that. Right. Stay close to the string. So, um, going back to the to the chicken, I think I was using an octave pedal when I, when we recorded that. Yep. To get that. And for 
for the when I did the bass solo, I I like to use this. My bass player Paul Ranieri turned me onto this pedal, and it's the uh, dig, the Digitech bass synth wah. Nice, like a Mutron. Yeah, it's got a lot of cool little sounds in it. And <laughs> you can also do like mix it with the whammy. <laughs> have some fun with that um so it, as far as the the, the comping because you were doing some really cool comping grooves on that yeah well yeah and our our little collab um i ended up sort of playing the rhythm part and uh, you were playing the bass line and the lead um but you're also doing that's this cool as hell um like triplet chop thing with the bow with the wah wah right right like a sextuplet <laughs> I, I, yeah, yeah, the, the triplet chopping thing is, is so. I also got obsessed with Casey Dreesen's uh, chop ricochet thing that he does. I was, I spent like a year trying to figure it out. <laughs> I kind of <laughs> came up with a way of doing it. Yeah. Something. Nice. But, um, yeah, like yeah. a ricochet. Um, but yeah, so with the. Another, another fun thing. Super cool with the wah. The wah really makes that. The wah really makes all the chopping just uh, exaggerated and and yeah. Crazy. Um, so another thing I, I, is uh, DJ scratching. This is something I we used to have a DJ in my band. We used to have scratch battles, you know. So <laughs> and for visual effect, I I put my hand this way over the fingerboard. So <laughs> Why not? So basically, and with with the Distortion is even cooler. <laughs> so basically, it's just slide and a, and yeah. not even a chop, a muted chop, but actually just like a staccato chop. Yeah. See, all of that stuff would goes under the. I think of that as all percussive bowing because it's like it's noisy. It's not really a note, but there's a little bit of tone to it, you know. Especially with the wah, brings out the different frequencies, um, and it's just this combination of note and noise that you would never come across in classical music. There is no no place at the Manhattan School that they that they taught that to you. I know that for a fact. <laughs> this, yeah, it's all the ugly sounds your teacher told you never to make. Not to make, exactly. <laughs> and in true, true rebellion, rock and roll fashion, that's what we focus on. It's the first thing we do. Make all the wrong noises. <laughs> Maybe my whole metamorphosis was also rebellion against my parents. I didn't want to do what they did. I wanted to be my own man, you know. See? I'll go through that to some extent, you know. Some of us, some people outgrow it, and some don't. <laughs> Looking at two guys here that never did <laughs> that, it. That never quite. <laughs> the arrested development. Oh of, yeah. Of rock and roll violin. Well, we're, hey. We're sort of like the Peter Pans of the violin. <laughs> <laughs> you know, one thing uh, I wanted to, I wanted to show it. Um, we we do Latin music. Uh, yeah. Uh, Afro-Cuban 
you know, salsa, merengue, chilanga, things like that. So we learned, I, they taught me when I joined the band how to imitate a, a guiro. Ah, yes. So if you're playing like, oye, como va, you can. So there's two ways to do it. You, you go, you slide up and down and you do nice. a chop. Down, up. So if you're playing in a Latin band, you can do this. The other way is to do two quick downward chops. So that's something you can mess around with. Excellent. Very cool. Yeah, you guys do a lot of Latin stuff. And uh, let me ask you something. As a guitar player, because... You know, so much of of what I do and what I teach is all about basically copying guitar players, right? Especially rhythm guitar players. Um, you know, for, for many years early on in, in my career, I was, you know, imitating Jimi Hendrix and, and soloing and stuff. And then it finally it took me a, a little bit of maturity to, to realize that actually playing the groove is actually more fun. Uh, and more interactive with the rest of the band you know because you're really adding to adding to the dance of it and what what makes people move you know um so as a guitar player how how do you think playing the guitar has given you a a different insight into what you do than somebody who had just come through a conservatory and was only a violin player never played the guitar well i think strumming i mean your concept of str uh, strum bowing really clicked with me because it's it's sort of a second nature thing that guitar players do and exactly. i take how difficult it is for a lot of string players coming from a classical background to wrap their heads around that concept and it's it's not it's such a simple concept really you don't want to overthink it it's just you right. know feeling the rhythm with your body and um playing all those syncopated notes, but, you know, the, the idea of ghosting, all that stuff, you know, I, playing in funk bands, I would recommend all string players spend some time playing in a funk band. <laughs> yes. Now let's just study with some bass players and learn to play some of these Motown bass lines. Or, yep. And guitarists should, should play some of those James Brown riffs, you know. I mean, excuse me, the violinists and violists should play some of those James Brown riffs. Yeah. Guitar riffs. It's just such an education, and, 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 and you just, there's, it, you know, um, you can read the, your book is excellent, but it's nothing like just playing it, you know, and, right. and just making that music. Um, I, I, I think that the strumming concept, I think, I would take away primarily from my experiences playing guitar that I brought to the violin. Yeah, Absolutely. and I think um, what I notice uh, with you and, and other fiddle players who I know play guitar as well, is there's a certain physicality to it that um, that comes along that uh, doesn't really get talked about in the conservatory very much. Uh, things like, you know, just kind of grooving with your body as you're playing and letting that help your, your, your bow arm. You know, that was not something I was encouraged to do an awful lot. Me neither. And it's the idea of just standing still with your feet in the V and your knees bent and just playing a concerto. You look at um, Heifetz, who I idolize, but he was standing like a statue playing that music. Yeah. But it's just such an unnatural thing for me to, be, to do that, you know? Yeah. 
I also wanted to ask you, as a sideman with with a lot of bands, do you ever get backlash? Like, you're a violinist. You're supposed to play pretty melodies around the singer. You're not supposed to be grooving with us, rhythm guitar players. You know, lay out. Do you, do yes. you ever get? Um, you know, I guess in the early days, um, you know, I think a lot of people were really not used to seeing string players chop or do anything like that. And, uh, I, I think, you know, it's become somewhat more common now, but drummers are still skeptical, you know, which, you know, I, I can understand that if I was a drummer and I saw somebody with a, with a violin trying to play rhythm, my first instinct would be no. <laughs> no, you don't. I'm the, I'm playing rhythm over here. Um, the last thing I want is to see a violin player uh, trying to play rhythm because, as you know, we do not we don't have a great reputation as it's rhythm the, keepers from the yes. string department. If you're a drummer or bass player and you've gone through twenty string players who couldn't groove at all, yeah. <laughs> Uh, all you have to do is, is, is uh, you know, have a have someone with an electric violin player come up to you and say, hey, can I play rhythm? <laughs> you know, and you're like, um, I doubt it uh, would probably be the first response. But um, yeah, it definitely takes a, a, a drummer who has some faith. And uh, and I think it, you know, as a string player, we have to prove uh, prove ourselves in that way all the time because there is such such an unfortunate uh, history that that uh, our forebears perhaps have have left before us of a little reputation cleaning up to do in that regard. Every new band I ever play in, I feel like I have to prove myself all over again and and do you know people have a certain concept of what a violin is supposed to do, and I think just changing the paradigm of of the a violin or a viola or a cello. It's, it takes years, decades, generations. Yeah. No, just the idea that, you know, a violin can play through the whole song grooving like a, a keyboard or a guitar or a mandolin. It could be a, that chordal groove instrument. Yep. And, and if you do it right, it only enhances the groove. It only, you know, makes the band better. Right. Uh, it's right. just, you have to prove that. You have to get prove that you can get away with it to whoever you're working with. And that's... Yeah. And the problem is, unfortunately, that a lot of string players can't uh, prove that because they don't have a lot of experience playing rhythm. That's not what they've been taught. If, they're, if they've picked it up, they've picked it up on their own, on the side, and maybe incompletely, you know, um, and, and maybe aren't really ready to be playing with a band, um, which is, of course, how you get better. Um, and it's the kind of thing that, you know, guitar players do from the very first lesson, they come in and they're strumming open strings. They don't know how to play a chord, but they know how to strum. Right. And, uh, it's just, you know, if strings were intru if string teaching involved more of just playing rhythm for somebody like here, just play those open strings so that somebody could dance for a minute. Um, you know, that's a little different approach to let's teach you how to play a scale and tune, um, you know, before you ever learn how to play more than a whole note at a time. Well, it's funny. In, in my in my book, I talk about the difference between a guitarist's first lesson and a violinist's first lesson. When you're a kid, you pick up the guitar, you learn G, C, and D. You could play Twist and yeah. Shout and La Bamba after the first <laughs> lesson. <And laughs> right. Yeah, your favorite tracks. 
string players, you know, just to get a good sound, you have to overcome so much technical yeah. stuff. Yeah. But also, aside from that, when are we ever encouraged to just jam with our favorite tracks? I can't remember a single teacher in my childhood that yeah. pots around on my instrument. There was always a very regimented practice routine, scales, etudes, yep. whatever. There's no room for just, just putzing around, man. We all yeah. need to be able Yeah, and especially putzing around with the music that is popular at that time, like right now, hip hop and things like that, um, you know, whatever it is, right. You know, um, not messing around with your, with your Bach and your Vivaldi, which is fine too, but it's a little bit of a different experience. If you want to jam with your friends or play music that your friends are going to recognize when you're in high school, um, it demands a whole different exposure to that music with your instrument. Absolutely. Um, and, uh, that's what that's what we're talking about over here in the future. Right on. And and the fact that you're doing this podcast and you have the book and you're spreading all this great information around the universe is uh, hopefully the the new generation that comes up will groove harder and be able to fill those roles. Thanks. We're to hoping, you. and we got role models like you out there putting out records and amazing videos. This is what you got. What's your sixth or seventh record coming out right now? It's Stratospheres. With Stratus, I think it is the sixth. <laughs> we're, we're doing two things. We're doing a live CD, DVD, or whatever you want to call it, and a studio album that we're finishing at the same time. So, Wow. Very cool. Well, we'll have to let everybody know about it on the For the Greater Groove Facebook group. People keep in touch with what you're doing and all of the cool, cool stuff. And, you know, uh, I think this is a perfect time for our final segment of the show, our not your gig game <laughs> in which we stump our guests. So today, Joe Denenzone, leader of Stratospheres, we're going to find out how much you know about the Stratosphere. Oh, you're going to kill me. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, here's your first question. Are you ready? Yeah. <laughs> this is it true or false? Okay. The Stratosphere is layered or stratified in temperature true or false the higher the altitude the warmer the temperature becomes false that actually is true it's the opposite of the troposphere i thought it would get colder as it gets see that's why i asked you because i i had a feeling that's what you would think all right question number two i'm gonna crash and burn on this <laughs> <laughs> okay. This one, okay, they're not getting any easier because I just, just got to say. All right, question number two. The air in the stratosphere is thinner than the air in the troposphere. That's our where, where we are. We're in the troposphere. The air in the stratosphere is thinner by how much? A, roughly a thousand times thinner. B, roughly a hundred times thinner. Or C, roughly... 10 times thinner. I would say A. You are right. It is letter A. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. Roughly a thousand times thinner. That's All right. That's why we're never up there. Jeff Bezos. Or, you know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. One right, one wrong. Here's the third question. All right. The Stratosphere Tower in Las Vegas, also known as the Strat, it stands at a 1149 feet high 
there's a bar at the observation deck. What is the name of the signature drink at the Stratosphere Bar? <laughs> is it A, The View? Is it B, Vertigo? Or is it C, The Jump? I'm going to say C. You are right! Ding, ding, ding! <laughs> it is. Let her see the jump. <laughs> well, now i got to ask, have you ever been to that bar? I have not. I have not, but I can tell you that the jump includes vodka, rum, gin, tequila, triple sec, blue curacao, and is topped off with a splash of Sierra Mist. So, uh, nothing will. <laughs> so... I guess I know where to book the band now when we go to Vegas. Exactly. <laughs> there you go. And you know what to order when you get there. <laughs> yes. Not to drive after that. <laughs> awesome, Joe. Well, you got two out of three, man. You uh, you totally win the Stratosphere Knowledge Contest. So That was the moment I was dreading, you know. <laughs> dude man thank you so much for hanging with us and sharing your gifts and your knowledge and uh this has been a pleasure and an honor and uh i wish you the greatest of luck with this podcast and all the amazing things you're doing thank Um, you very much man awesome joe so much this was so much fun thank you dude god yep Thanks for listening. If you want to stay in touch, please join the For the Greater Groove Facebook group. See ya. Groove on.